0: Funnesty, how are Welcome to the Candela Tales podcast. This episode is an interview. Aaron grabbed Daniel Allison from the House of Legends podcast. Daniel came over to
1: Ireland and he very kindly jumped up on stage with us at MVP to do a live story at our show there. And then he sat down with Aaron and they had a lovely chat. This podcast is
0: supported by our patrons at patreon.com forward slash Candlelit Tales. And if you would like to join them, you can go there or you can make a one time donation using the PayPal button on our website. Like and share and above all, enjoy. And for now, enjoy Aaron talking to Daniel. Daniel,
1: Thanks very much for coming on the Candle Tales podcast and uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. it's such a pleasure to be here. I'm delighted, I really am. Uh, It's been such a treat because I guess uh, kind of hilariously you landed into Ireland out of nowhere and you ended up crashing in my gaff, coming to see a show, jumping up telling a story and now you're on our podcast, I didn't know you two days ago. Yeah that sums it up perfectly <laughs> it's a good story It's not a bad yeah story. and i knew
0: you because as we both know there's this weird podcast thing where you listen to someone's podcast a lot you feel like you know them when they don't know you at all we both experienced that probably from both sides
1: you know of the relationship so i knew you now you know me absolutely and it is and it's gorgeous because as we were just saying uh the podcast thing which i'm not great at doing i try and do a bit is reach out to people, interview them, have a conversation and talk about the shared passion and the joy of story, storytelling, myth, the meaning between folklore, history, legends and all the magic that's in between. And you end up having a lovely conversation with somebody for a concentrated, in-depth analysis of that shared passion, which you don't quite get unless you're sitting at a bar in the middle of nowhere and having a good chat with somebody that you just met. But at the same time, uh, your podcast, House of Legends, you have, tell a story and you interview someone every month. So it's lovely to come across where you constantly going out there and, and having these chats with people. So, so it might be for your tenacity to seek down other stories that are so fair.
0: Thank you. Yeah, it has been an incredible journey and I've been so fortunate in that I have been able to speak to dozens and dozens of these incredibly interesting storytellers and writers and mythologists and so on and have these great conversations. When you're saying every month, I feel guilty because I've been a bit bad this past year because like like yourself, it's grown a lot and it's gone from being a podcast to being uh, teaching and uh, for me, a membership site and doing all these other things. So
1: I've been a little bit slack lately. Well, don't beat yourself up because let's just rewind because I want to get to the fact that you have... Uh, storytelling membership thing on your, on your website, which is amazing, as we're doing a storytelling course. We were teaching as well a little bit, so we have that uh, kind of passion and drive to do that and spread the glorious story as well. But let's rewind. Let's yeah, go back let's to start, that. Let's, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, so, uh, Danny Allison, what brought you to story?
0: I grew up with story as my refuge my medicine it was what made me happy like i lived in the countryside and i scotland scotland where exactly um in east lothian up in the Lammermuir hills so hills covered in sheep and not a lot else and uh weren't many other kids around and if there were they probably wouldn't have liked me because it was a bit strange um and stories books myths legends fantasy uh, animal stories were what made me happy that was just where I went and everything was right and everything made sense and then of course a whole life happened and still loved stories still loved books and I suppose there came a point where I looked at myths and legends in a different way when I was prompted by uh, people like Martin Shaw and Michael Mead and Clarissa Pinkola uh, Estes to to realize that these weren't just really cool, interesting, weird stories, but that so they had important. all these incredible dimensions to them, which were about all of our lives and which connected not just my modern life, but but didn't just speak to that life, but spoke to the lives of people all over the world in all kinds of societies and that just blew my mind and started this new relationship
1: yeah yeah I mean like it's such a beautiful uh, introduction to Michael Mead in uh, my brother passed on a story of the the black dog and uh, this old old woman knitting knitting and keeping on knitting this Mm. beautiful fabric Uh, and since then I'm just like I'm such a fan of the fact that he's still giving out these stories that are so meaningful and recently listened to uh, I would become an elder from Clip, Clip uh Clip. Estes. <laughs> um, or Estes? Um, Dr. Estes Dr. is the like, cheap yeah. way of saying it. Dr. Yeah, you just yeah. get it. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's kind of, I feel like a bit of a sham <laughs> then when I can, like, yeah, I'm in storytelling, but like, these guys are like, using monumental kind of mythic archetypes to explore human nature and what it is to be human, how to grow with with mm-hmm. dignity and, and be wise throughout it and look back and, and really learn from it. I feel like, you know, yeah, I've only scratched the surface on how deep and meaningful stories can be because I guess I've always used them as, you know, chances to escape, kind of like you mentioned as, as a kid, you know, and that, that, that joy of story. So back to you. Not me. You grew up in the countryside, so you, you love stories, and as I think everybody does, it's a, it's a natural thing we learn through stories. We learn third person perspective through story. And so, what was it that brought you into performing with stories and using it as a vehicle to actually get your voice out?
0: Yeah, I I think I had this strange thing going on as a child and as a young person where I was like incredibly shy but wherever I did any kind of drama at school or any kind of performance thing, this um, animal leapt out. And it was like, that was where I could be myself. Um, I mean, I was far more myself there than I was in kind of ordinary situations. And I kind of still feel that way about stories. And that when I enter a story, whether telling it or reading it, I feel like I'm more me than, to know walking around and going to Tesco, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but um, never good to be those those halogen lights. Who like oh no? Yeah,
0: well, it's useful at times, um, but. I think that I, I thought I was going to be an actor for, for, for a number of years, but that the world just didn't quite feel like my world. But it was literally just discovering that the storytelling world existed. Um, I read some of Martin Shaw's Michael Mead's work, and that blew my mind, as I said. And at the same time, I was getting didgeridoo lessons in Edinburgh, and my didgeridoo teacher just showed me a picture of his storytelling mentor, David Campbell, and became my mentor and told me about this guy and told me that this tradition existed of you know i i we're so um we're so focused on texts and books yeah. and i I'd, I'd always thought of myths and legends and traditional stories of things that lived in books. And I learned that there were these people who told them, and that the, the telling of them, the sharing of them, and listening to them, and the community that exists around that act and that experience is as important as the stories themselves. Mm. And that blew my mind. And I just knew instantly that
1: was what I was supposed to do. Brilliant. That was the thing I didn't know about my life, and I just instantly started doing it. Fantastic. I mean, it's such a funny thing to actually find performance as the thing that jumps you out of self into an energetic kind of way of being human and engaging in emotions, high low I used to think it's like going on a roller coaster so you could just go through yeah. all the emotions and yeah. feel the sadness, feel the joy, feel the real excitation of the things that's in the story that's much, much bigger than walking around a supermarket, which feels really numb and, and dumb and, you know, everything is, you know, pushed down. Uh I, I love the fact that yeah, you found story through an introduction. Oh, yeah, this is actually a thing. While doing didgeridoo lessons, I mean, <laughs> good for breath control. Do you still play?
0: I've, I've, um, because I've been living in Thailand quite a lot, and I had a didgeridoo with me. I've kind of fallen off a bit, but I can, I can still play, and I do love to play. Yeah. but like, it's such a good point you make there. Like this ex- roller coaster of experiencing all the emotions, and not not just all the emotions, but all the different facets of existence that not it's beyond human existence different modes of existence that we can experience be telling a story because you're you're playing and you're narrating and you're talking about all the characters so you're the giant and then you're the prince and then you're the crow and then you're mm. you're all of these beings and each of them you get to just leap into and embody and that's you going beyond your ordinary everyday tesco shopping human self and yeah it does just make you bigger because then you're like okay what's what's crow Aaron like what's crow Daniel like and (laughs) there's nothing wrong with being completely crazy weird crow person because that's almost you've been booked to do you're supposed to be (laughs) you're supposed
1: to be a bit nutty and entertaining
0: and why would you not want to do that
1: I, I, I love the fact that you're, you're, you how you talk about embodying them because, again, I guess with the myths when they're on pages when they're books, they're very matter-of-fact and it's sequential, like, you know, what happens and there's a cause and effect in the story. But it's very surface level. You mm-hmm. get to know what Fionn did, what Fionn uh, said and what everyone else did as a reaction and, and the cause and effect. And, and you get to read these things but you don't get a chance to get inside it, mm. inside the emotions, inside the head, almost until you get the rewritings, of course, and modern kind of reiterations. But in, in the transcriptions, the older texts, you get very matter-of-fact and you get whole lineages of where they came from, whole descriptions of what they're wearing. You, But it's all on the surface, you know? So, yeah, I mean, like, it's interesting to hear you say, you, you get a chance to jump into it because you know, if you're coming from an acting point of view, you've like, from originally, I guess, from that performance, but still, you've, you've obviously, you know, gone into the characterization of stuff and had an ability or a desire and a want to get out of your own head and into something else. And, you know, when you tell a story, you 're not just telling the surface level facts you 're t- trying to tap into the emotionality and what 's underneath it yeah. and inside someone 's you know heart as they 're making the decision to you know go off with Fond or stay with Emer or you know kill your own son Kanla Bonnie strand and what that must actually feel like or whatever the story is there's th- you have to figure out what the- what 's going on for the person rather than. The facts and the the matter of the, of the case yeah
0: yeah and and th- the thing is you're not just doing that and everyone watching you having this lovely time experiencing exploring these things yourself, they're going through it with you too, which is your purpose in a big way because when they're when the audience are watching you and you're becoming crow and you're bec- or you're becoming Koholan to some degree depending on how well you're doing your job yeah, and how sure, yeah, open they are to this yeah 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 they're experiencing it too and so it's this group cathartic experience in which we all go beyond our everyday selves and that's so incredibly meaningful because I think so many of the times so many times in our lives we just need to remember that we're not just this one part of ourselves mm-hmm. that we have all these different faces we have all these different aspects we have our giant and it's good to be giant sometimes yeah we're, we have our you know um you get, you witchy, joker, mossy and... character who goes out into the woods and does those kinds of things and you experience that in the story, and you, oh, God, yeah, I've got that part of myself, yeah, and some fire is lit inside of you, and you go away thinking, "Ooh, I might
1: get more in touch with that part of myself." Yeah, 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 yeah. I like it. I like it. I mean, again, the the whole idea of like the collective consciousness, the old collective, is so ripe and visible when telling a story to a whole room of people who are like the eyes are closing you know, the especially when the, the beat of the story is kind mm-hmm. of rhythmically tapping along and and something is moving and there's a current of emotion that's kind of flowing through a room mm-hmm. and you can't help but get carried away. And whether I'm listening to it or experience it as a teller, or like I, I, I often get it when I'm just listening listening to Sorca tell stories next to me and I'm just like wow just like I can feel myself getting swept away in it. As I do with your story tonight, which we'll get to which we'll get to but I, I still have a couple more questions because I guess that's live storytelling. And that's the experiential aspect. I think, you know, different strokes for different folks. Some people get that from going to theatre. Some people get it from m- music and folk songs. Yeah. Or some people get from techno. And it's a spiritual thing to go to a psytrance concert for some people. Uh, and other people get it through, through movies, books, you know. Live performance, live storytelling may not be everybody's thing, but it is also the oldest thing. Like, it's, mm. it's, it, it came before all of that. Like, you know, it's the oral storytelling tradition is literally the oldest way of getting out of self and into the bigger. So it's kind of, it has this re- reverberation, I think, throughout the ages where you're like, fuck, how many times has this story been told? Mm. Like, countless. In some iterations, depending on the story, like, how old, how many ways has this been woven together throughout the, 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 as old as the hills some of them and there's something really humbling in that as well is to like kind of participate in something like as, as ritualistic as and as old and as archaic and ancient and kind of tribal as the oldest ways of doing I guess you could probably say dance as well but, you know or, or, or music but um, you can argue other things so I guess you started your podcast when you decided you wanted to start doing your storytelling and and, you know go out and tell stories what was it that led you through storytelling into podcasting into now teaching and and writing and because i want to mention your books as well and and now continuing on this whole path of like the never-ending fascination with story and storytelling yeah, can can you join those dots for me in a narrative? <laughs> yeah, I can. Um, it's one of those ones that it's always
0: hard to condense because there's so many different aspects to it. But I'd been thinking about starting a podcast, but all the podcasts I heard in which people were telling stories, were ones in which they're approaching it in a very kind of lighthearted, taking the piss basically kind of way. And I thought, okay, that's what people want. Oh, they don't like what, they're not interested in what I'm doing. Until mm-hmm. I heard Dan Carlin from the Amazing Hardcore History podcast talking about narrow casting. About it's like podcasting is like the opposite of broadcasting. No matter how narrow your field of interest, there's other people who wanna hear what you're doing or the particular particular way you're doing what you do. And I just thought, Oh, so yeah, there will be people be People out there who like the kind of storytelling that I do, absolutely, yeah. And around that, there's loads of people that's the yeah, way. It's the it's of people. <laughs> like you, you'll find your niche, like, it. yeah, <laughs> no, however okay. weird you are, you're, <laughs> your crowd Detroit. is out there, yeah. And if you're, <laughs> you're so weird, it's only you. Well done, that's amazing, mm. <laughs> yeah. You need you deserve rewards, <laughs> yeah, yeah. just get looked after for that, but anyway, um, yeah, I um had. Bit of a life crisis. Lots of things went wrong, and I realised I just needed a massive change. And I bought a one way ticket to Thailand. Yeah. I'd got interested in Muay Thai, Thai boxing. I'd really fallen in love with it, and I decided to just go and move there, move into a Muay Thai gym, train, and do that. So I nice. arranged all that, and then just before I left, I got my first publishing contract for a book of Fiona McCall's stories. So I was like, okay, I'll write that while I'm out there. Fantastic. I moved out there, moved into a gym in Koh Phangan in Thailand. Started training there every day. I got a job doing their Instagram for them, so I got my meals and my training and some private training taken care of. So I was pretty sorted. So I wrote and I did, uh, you know, did Muay Thai and this kind of intense physical practice. Um, this very sort of painful and really really hard thing. And kind of just gave me this fuel for. I don't know. I feel like I sweated out many, many phases of my life and everything that had gone before, and made me very kind of ready for something new. And at the same time, I got I got business coaching from Sean Fagan, a Muay Thai fighter, who'd really inspired me, and he helped me to kind of envision this new life and then this kind of warrior lifestyle of just training and fighting while writing these, you know, warrior stories of stories. Oh, gave me this sense of like I can or I can do anything kind of thing. Fantastic. So I thought, right, well I'll start that podcast and then um, I'll start publishing some of my own stuff as well as the the stuff that's being published. And then that led to um, when I went home and I got stuck in Scotland because of COVID um, after a visit that led to teaching online to led to year courses, which led to a membership site and, you know, all this stuff right from there
1: wow I mean like I like how you started with a very flippant kind of inciting incident Device. or ah, sure once I had my first uh, contract to write a book I, I said oh, I suppose I'll just do it over and I'm like that's the hard part getting <laughs> like, getting someone to actually ask you to write a book for a publishing club so like was there a couple of steps that you missed or skipped there or I suppose yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, that that was a kind of weird
0: thing And I'd spent 10 years like getting up early and sitting there in the dark writing fantasy before work um going and doing support work and you know eventually having finished something not getting anywhere with it writing a second one not getting anywhere with it but then um donald smith who's the uh, director of the scottish international storytelling festival and a really wonderful man mentor um i told him about this idea for a book of fiona stories and he said oh you should get in touch with this person at the history press about that so i did
1: and then they were just like yeah sounds good we're pretty much like here's your contract wow (laughs) that's things lining up that's fantastic and it is actually I mean the reason I bring it back is because there's like there's obviously a bit of a dark night of the soul there and like you know in that struggle through that and that's oftentimes what we want to hear about we don't want to just hear about ah you know got a contract wrote a book we also want to hear about the 10 fucking years of persevering of struggling because that's what we're mostly all doing is is struggling through stuff to make you know it's nice to get the the reward or the, the feeling of a reward at the end of it but there is so much like, you know, creating your own look in a way, you know, because I, and getting your first break, is always on the back of perseverance, trial, error, failures, after failures, after failures. You have to fail in order to, to try and succeed. And, like, I don't know, I think there's, there's, it's interesting when that's left out of a story, I think. Like, it's just like, obviously, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, because for me, it's it's the most interesting. It's like, yeah, you, you did the you did the hard work in order to to get yourself into that position, which is extremely a, admirable, uh, tenacious, and uh, not very easy. So, yeah, very impressed. But in terms of all your research for Fiona and the Fiona, and I'm delighted you got up to tell Fiona stories tonight. You, um, what, like, you know, in Scotland, uh. You don't quite have as much of a rich connection to stories. Can you tell me what it's like over there? Because we we grow up with stories here in Ireland. We get the basics in every primary school. We every Irish person will know Cúlán, Cool, probably um, Children Bear. Even if that's just it, they'll they'll probably know Oisin as well and Tiernog. That's like in nearly every primary school across the country. So that we have those, we have primed names. We kind of know them. They're they've been misused, you know, a hundred years ago for the civil war, potentially, you know, for various means to ends, and uh, you know the warrior archetype used to uh, get people to join a war, and, and uh, all of the ways now that uh, have maybe muddied the mythos in I- Ireland for for certain people, um, and with with just reason. So there's like you know, but there's still a lot of feeling, a lot of connection to it, a lot of. Ambiguity and you know a lot of shadow there as well, but it's still there, and you know you, the, the cairns in the hills are still there, the standing stones are still there the the you know the giant's causeway is still everyone kind of knows there's a link there to a story and mm. there's explanations Grania have beds all over this country. you can't go too far without hearing a version of a Puka story or a horror a banshee story that's local to an area or something that's kind of connected that you'll find out if you if you go digging. And uh, yeah, what's it like in Scotland? Do you have that kind of a a culture of place and story, explanation and mythos, or is it is this kind of more way lost? I guess.
0: Yeah, it's really noticeable for me, having been travelling around Ireland for the last few weeks, and I've been on a, a few trips previous to this. You guys have a stronger connection to your cultural history and traditions than we do. Interesting. As far as I can see. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but that is what I'm per, that's why I'm perceiving and experiencing other Scottish people who are interested in this stuff who've had similar journeys have said the same thing. And okay. um, there's probably all kinds of political and cultural and historical reasons for that which I don't understand.
1: <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah, but let's think, yeah, let's but, figure it out though. Let's figure it
0: out <laughs> Yeah that,
1: we let's the Brits, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Let's just say it, let's
1: just yeah. say it, let's get it out there. <laughs>
0: yeah, you, you guys have held on, and there is that there's that knowledge in, like you mentioned, the schools of at least knowing the being taught the basic stories. We don't have that in Scotland, so right. at least when I grew up. If you if you're talking traditional stories, you're talking Jack and the Beanstalk, Little Red Riding Hood, the Grimm's ones, the ones yeah. which are you know taught Germanic in many different places, sense. the Germanic yeah. tradition. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know Scottish stories existed. It didn't occur to me to think about it, mm. and I'm I'm pretty sure it's a bit different now. I know at least because you know, I'm going to schools, and many people I know are going to schools, and you know, doing our best uh, to change this but it certainly wasn't there when i was growing up and i think it's probably a bit different in the highlands you know i think in the highlands out uh, the way it is just in any place it seems mm-hmm. out at the fringes at the edges more mythic more places, mythic yeah. yeah people hang on to this kind of knowledge you've got the gallic language which is so it was pretty strong in some parts of scotland so i'm sure a lot um comes with that absolutely yeah yeah but i for me like you know i i Definitely never heard the words Finn McCall, Fionn McCall until I got interested in oral storytelling in my mm. late 20s. Definitely never heard
1: those words. Wow. Wow. I mean, like, I and mean, then you just went deep dive, straight into research mode. Did, like, like, talking through that, did you just buy books? Did you decide, like, fuck this, I want to... Because I, I know there's like a connection, like, like Fionn Gold, like, there's so many stories of of uh, either, you know, Coo going to the Isle of Skye and Scalhawk and the training there. There's stories of the Fina going to Scotland. There's the High Heeled Album, the name. There's also, you know, a story I recently researched and and put together, you know, the Irish people were known as the Scotty for such a long time. Mm. And then the Scotty went to Scotland, possibly named after an Egyptian pharaoh. Maybe, maybe not, but she's also buried, buried in Trilline. So I Mm -hmm. don't know. Um, so it goes one story anyway. But again, that link to a similar age-old people who travelled, the Scotty becoming the Scottish. Uh, the fact that the Northern Irish accent sounds kind of similar, very distinctly different to the Scottish accent. The Mel, the Blade, the the Irish in Scotland, the, 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 the crossover the myths and the stories that brought the Fianna to Scotland and have these chapters overriding. And so I find it fascinating that Fianna McCool is both uh, a hero and an Irish legend, but also has such a strong presence in Scotland for being in Ireland. You know what I mean? It's kind of like this this shared hero that we, we both kind of have. No, maybe not as shared as I I, I, I like to think, but um, certainly I've, just, I, 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 you know, I've come across a couple of... Um, Scottish people who definitely know and tell the the Fionn stories, so um, yeah, yeah, there's kind of like an interesting link there.
0: Yeah, there's the, the, the storytellers, like the older storytellers, where I learned from people like David Campbell and uh, Donald Smith, who I mentioned. They they know Fionn inside out, I mean, they yeah. know really know this tradition. And they were encouraging me to look into this tradition from when I started. I mean, I. Me personally, like I was interested and I thought these stories were cool, but I was really confused by them and I didn't quite get the characters and I didn't know how to pronounce these names I was reading. Very hard.
1: All this kind of stuff. <laughs> Very I don't know. I just guess
0: yeah. people <laughs> always think I know, but I'm like, mm,
1: that's just because I say it with conviction. <laughs> okay, because I'm sort of listening to your podcast and going, well that's how he says it, so it must be right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, that's a thing totally like I'm from Cork, so I like I'll say Kieran, where up the rest of the country people will say Kieran. So like, you know, there's yeah. just a million different ways of pronouncing. Him things and there's no real right way there's a lot of wrong
0: ways though yeah i know and even in i, I grew up um not i like grew up but once i got into the stories i heard finn a lot more than fionn because a lot of people in scotland will say finn Same and some people will seem to want to like rip my throat out for saying that like, it's fionn
1: yeah. yeah yeah again like when you go back to the the the, the 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 sound of knowledge finn and finnegus it does actually make more sense if it was name if his name is Finn because that's the prophecy getting confused between Finnegus, the you know, and who got who gets the salmon knowledge. But uh, I always kind of like trip over that if I'm telling him like mm, Fionn, then Finnegus, <laughs> and they were similar but not the same. Um, but again, Fionn means fair haired, so I guess you know depending where you're from, if you're up in a different part of the island. Yeah, you could just pronounce it fin and that also make, means fair. Um, so yeah, you, you started researching and like I'm struggling to remember the name of a, a Scottish storyteller who has a, a, a night on, I think it's Wednesday nights, I think he's still going, up in uh, the Crane Bar in Galway. If you know who that is... Okay. Uh, I'm talking to the internet. If you know who that is, Mm. let me me know. I can't remember. But I know he he does a cycle of of Phoenix stories as well. So that's one of the guys I I was kind of came across. Uh, Whose name, I can't remember, but the link is there. So you you started with Fionn and you you kind of gone global with stories. Like you kind of went pretty far wide with your interest and and research and and like you're drawn to like the four corners from what I can see. Yeah. Tell me about your, kind of like, I guess, the next leaping off point. Yeah,
0: well, I I think I started off being a bit of a butterfly and thinking, well, I, you know, I've traveled to various places around the world. I spent a lot of time in, in East Africa. I spent some time in the Amazon, Mexico. And I thought, oh, it'd be interesting to know the stories from these far-off, exotic, wonderful places. Um, so I got really interested in all these kinds of things. I developed a real thing for Siberian stories, which I still very much have. And it was, it was a kind of later thing of actually coming home and actually really starting to see the value in the Scottish stories, which the Scottish storytellers were kind of putting in front of me. And I was just <laughs> a bit like, oh, I want far off exotic shiny things. Yeah, and I started yeah. to love these things. And then what happened for me really was, yeah, I started, I started to love these stories. I started to really appreciate and then completely fall in love with the Fianna stories. And then I started writing um fiction, writing fantasy, which was pulling together my two loves of epic fantasy and traditional stories. Okay. And that was I, that was the big that's been the biggest thing for me and that's the the core thing for me. Um because you know, in, in Ireland you had the monks writing down these legendary cycles, these mythic cycles of the Tudidan and the Fearbogs and so on. Um even if they're writing it down, thinking this is a load of bollocks, but we might as well write it down for posterity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cheers, guys. go <laughs> <laughs> on, lads. Yeah, Come on, lads. same in Wales with the Mabinogion, um, but we'd not have that in Scotland. Mm. You've got the, mostly it's folk tales, you know, and we've we've got a certain number of fairy stories, but you we know, we don't have those epic, mythic, legendary yeah, cycles. Absolutely. No reason to think that these kind of things then exist, but they were not written down. So for me there has been this big process of being really sad about that and then thinking, well hold on, there's quite a lot of opportunity there
1: to imagine and mm. you know, dream into the gaps. But even like even the cycles themselves are reimagining, they're reordering, yeah, yeah, you know, like yeah, they're yeah. just like they weren't always put that way. We just like in an attempt to figure out and just place them in a few different boxes to get them straight and have some form of narrative cohesion they were placed in four cycles but like go back to mm-hmm. far enough they weren't in those if you go back to the first translations of these books they're not in those cycles so yeah. again you, you have to reimagine in order to make sense of them a bit and then you're looking at the last pages, the last books, the last, the fractures in society, the fracture in language, the fracture in, in culture that is the consequence, the, the fracture of both famine, death, and, and you know, going to the Americas from an Irish people perspective and all over the world, and how many this diaspora there are of Ireland, and how they brought stories with them, <clears throat> but how many you know how, how old are those stories really you know it's kind of i know when, when they're written down the first book is 1200s but at the same time was that kind of current affairs myth- mm. myth-wise or was that really the old stories how far back are we really going you know because because yeah. you know I, I guess moriarty who i absolutely love as well uh i was reading a book he's recently again a friend of mine uh, gave me the book and he was talking about uh, the Battle of Taltu as you know, this uh, brilliant thing that comes up in, in the Book of Invasions, as this you know fantastic, the two of the and go under the hill and the Sons of Mill and the, the, I guess, the Milesians or the Celts, as we might, might kind of uh, call them now, come and they take over Ireland. But was that the wiping out of the people's before then, the people who had, had the megalithic tombs and, and those great burial chambers was at the end of an era there. Was that actually something that really tragically happened of a new wave coming in and a, a much older, much more sacred people not lasting. And, you know, that's just, I, I guess it's just like, the, it's, it's pretty hard to tell because <laughs> it's, so, yeah. it's so old and we can get yeah. into the archaeological as- aspects of it, but They're not quite stories. <laughs> yeah,
0: <they're> fifty <laughs> Okay. Yeah, but it's it's really worth thinking about that. Yeah, like I remember reading that uh, there's a scientific principle, like for scientists going out and observing wildlife, that you can't observe something without changing it, and pr- probably observe, applies to all kinds of different sciences. I don't know if this always uh, applies, mm-hmm. but like you know, you can't go out and observe the the gorillas without somehow you know impacting the gorillas, and. It's like same for us as storytellers. There's no way we can tell stories, retell stories, reimagine stories without bringing our own values yeah. and our own world and individual life into them. You just can't. You can. So can. we're always as storytellers. You know, the monks writing these things down, the people that they heard from, the people that they heard from before. They were reimagining the stories, and so you and I, in our different ways, podcasting, writing the different things we do, live performance. We're always reimagining it, and we're just part of that tradition of people who are always reimagining and trying to find a balance between what's gone before and what we bring because that's yeah, what tradition yeah. is about. Like, there's that lovely phrase, tradition is about um, tending the flames, not worshipping the ashes.
1: Mm. I love that. Keep it lit. Keep it lit. Keep the candle lit. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's gorgeous. I mean, I was kind of struck with a thought there as well of um, this uh, perpetual motion, like an upward spiral, you know, like we're kind of continuously repeating and growing and changing and, and continuously repeating and growing and changing. And like, you know, every year is a cycle, you know, you're going between the solstices and the equinoxes and in between you have the Celtic festivals and they're, you know, on a map and a, and a two dimensional aspect. It's just, oh yeah, you're repeating this every, every again, but it's much more, you know, it, it's all at once as well, because, You can experience winter in the heart of summer. You can experience the the lightness of summer in the depths of winter. And and the emotionality of of the year is kind of all-encompassing, just like a story can just span that amount of time as well in in a few moments. But it's, it's, I'm not sure if I'm making sense here, but the the wheel of, 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 uh, of time moves in some form of a cyclical pattern that as you're dropping back to, you know, the old archaic stories with these really, you know, the warriors, the jokers, the maidens, the heroes, the, the youths and the lovers and all of these archetypes that, that are prevalent in the stories, as they're being repeated, they're, they're changing. And as they're re- repeated, they're, they're growing anew. And as they're, you know, they're reliving a new kind of moment, the same, but very different, each time and a new time. And every time they're spoken in a different voice, they're living in the ears of the listeners in this time now, which means a different thing right now than it did five years ago yeah. and 10 years ago and 20 and 50. And it'll mean much, something much more, more, you know, whatever, different again in five and 10, 20 years. But again, they're, yeah, I guess that's a bit of a random spiral. <laughs> that's making me think of
0: this, I think it was Joseph Campbell who I first encountered talking about this idea of myth and ceremony or myth and ritual as being the same thing or mirrors of each other and that like a ritual or ceremony is embodied myth. And when, uh, when say, some people gathered together to sing up the sun it's this almost the same thing as a story of how the say helios drives his sun chariot up into the sky Mm -hmm. and there's the myth there's the story which we think of as this kind of disembodied thing of this happened and that happened and that happened and that's why that happens but whenever we tell that story or there's a, a ceremony embodies that same thing that is the same as the myth like you know if someone if we sing up the sun that is why
1: the sun rises and I don't know where I'm going with that it's fair that's fair I mean it's it's just an interesting aspect of right. of, of story and repetition and, and the different colours of it I guess I mean like yeah. you know between the Greek and the Norse and the whatever African and, and South American you'll find such similar aspects you know repeated throughout cultures which is yeah. again we're all just you know encompassed in a different skin and bone shell yeah. we're so essentially the same because we, we live these imagined lives so much more than we do actually our own and in those imagined worlds we're we're experiencing the the magic or can do any of these mythic kind of aspects of life and that's like if you actually really pay attention you're like it is magic it's me there's a giant ball of fire <laughs> In the sky, heating everything that's making it grow. And like, if you just tap into that for a moment, you're like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, no wonder you fucking... There is a chariot running up in the sky because there might as well be. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because even down the science, it's it's magic. It's all magic.
0: Yeah, and every time we tell that or even think about it, we're adding to the, the dreaming or to the totality of everything that's been and uh, mm-hmm. to the to the mythic, all, all the myths of the world. Yeah. Every time, you know, you told that story tonight and everyone experienced it together, yet everyone experienced it differently. Yeah. Everyone saw it differently in their own minds and you could feel it in the room. You know, that's mm-hmm. that what we were talking about. Oh, you could feel that buzzer like, oh, rah, the story's in the Something room now. Rah, rah, rah. Yeah. <laughs> and how beautiful and perfect is it that it's not just some dead thing on a page, but it's alive and, it, and it's living in everyone's different mind through
1: you telling that story gorgeous gorgeous so speaking of tonight um, we had a story of home for Harvest Harvest inside uh, uh, MVP in Dublin and you bought your ticket uh, and didn't know you were coming but then turns out you were crashing my, on my gaff uh, which is lovely, uh, very random, and delighted to have you, and it was fantastic, and I wasn't even there to welcome you, I felt very bad, but I did a workshop, and I wasn't even there, terrible, such a bad host, and then suddenly I was driving in, I was like, hang on, why the fuck don't we get you to tell a story in the show, it's about the Fina, I know you know loads of stuff there, I've heard your podcast, I listened to a few more in the car, just to make sure I, again, uh could maybe ask you to do one. It was like, actually, he'd probably know what one to do himself. So we had a coffee today, three in the deep end. We're now sitting down post-show. It's late o'clock. We won't quit at the time. <laughs> uh, we've had a lovely evening telling stories, uh, mostly based around Cuelta, uh and the stories are and the story sort of can I put together at the Battle of the the fall of the Fianna. And, uh, yeah, you popped up and told a beautiful story in the middle of this epic tale which we'll probably be able to put up on our Patreon uh, page for our Patreon supporters because thanks lads and also it won't be fully massively edited it's a GoPro on the corner but if our Patreon supporters want to listen to it you can have that and if you don't support us on Patreon then you can't listen to it maybe I guess Um, we'll probably put up here eventually anyway um, (laughs) shout out to Patreon Um, so uh, I was going to say yeah you're going to be telling on this podcast uh, next week, presumably, whenever this comes out, you'll be telling the story that you told tonight. First time I heard it properly, you gave me the summary in a cafe in Dublin. I was like, yes, tell that story. <laughs> That's great. I fucking love it. And it was mental. It was barely about Fionn. He was in it. But, you know, um, do you want to give us the beats of this story? Just to give us a kind of what's the story about? Because I know it's mental and we kind of have a little bit general. yeah. What, yeah, where where did hey, where did you get it? What's it about? Brief
0: summary. Maybe. I found it in Good Lady Gregory, Irish myths and legends. I call it Black, Brown, and Grey. I think she called it something like that. And uh, the beats of it are that the Fiona are going to be having a great big feast for Samhain. They've had a great harvest, and uh, they uh, get, Fionn gets approached by these three guys who are like, "Do you want us to just?" look after, do a bit of sentry duty for you around the feast so you can all just enjoy yourselves, none of the lads have to do any work. Fiona says cool, here's branch she'll help you out, on you go. And each of them takes turns to go out into the forest, check that nothing's amiss or weird. And there is weird stuff going on. And so they all come to this uh hole out in the woods where very strange things are happening. It's an oh clearly a gateway into the other worlds. And uh, there is bloodshed There is mayhem There is the acquiring Of magical items And so, uh Yeah lots of people Get killed <laughs> and, and in the morning Fionn's like Did you guys have a good time Was everything fine And they say Well no lots of weird stuff Happened And he's like Well okay Lots Good for you And a, a story is there To be told
1: Amazing So a yeah. uh, couple of things um, I, I loved the time the night. Uh It was It was beautiful to see You uh, uh, just jump in with the music as well. Because uh, I know you maybe don't have as much experience with that, but Oshin laid the rhythm. I was able to pick up the bow on, and we just, you know, that little magic Underpreparedness happened where we were listening to the beats there was a few lovely stops you know and and the heartbeat of the story kind of just breathed and we were really reactive and and you were paying yeah you gave us an awful lot to deal with and your improvisation around the liveness of it was gorgeous I thoroughly enjoyed it Uh, and it was a beautiful beautiful telling so I'm looking forward to getting the the recorded version which is never really the same um, in in terms of because you have to sit down and, and, and focus without the live atmosphere so will we, we, we you struggle with that or, or have you, do you prefer podcasting versus live stories or what's your feeling with that? I prefer live, live storytelling
0: definitely because, of course, there's so much that's amazing about feeding off the atmosphere and the crowd and so on and the interaction. I loved working with you guys as musicians because it's just it's such a different way of doing it, you know, because it's like the voice becomes one instrument amongst a whole you know team of instruments and nice. you, you do it in a different way and for me i just i love stories and music i very much enjoy telling stories without music stories and music is just one of those amazing combinations yeah yeah Um so it is great and it's enjoyed the novelty
1: i love that actually that, that the, the voice becomes another instrument yeah that's a really nice way of putting it because it, it does because there's musicality There was musicality of your voice that was just so easy to follow and uh, i think that's that's what it is with, with um, you know, uh, between the guitar or whatever instrument is following it, there's a musicality that's following the music of the voice mm-hmm. and the ups and the downs and tweaks and the in betweens and the stops and the social things. Mm-hmm. was lovely, lovely silences, you really led that beautifully. Uh, how do you feel uh, going without, well, like now that you've had music, will you be able, will you be able to do it without it?
0: Yeah, I've told, <laughs> it, I've told it before without music and it's not a problem. I think I've only t- I've mostly told it to kids I think it's one of those ones Where if you get booked To go into school Near Halloween And they're like Can we have a scary story Yeah <laughs> and <you> know, Maybe <laughs> And it's one of those Great ones where it's like It's not so dark That you are Going to have a lot of Angry letters from parents But it's definitely dark And weird enough That the kids are going to be like Yeah no was weird that was really
1: weird yeah, yeah <laughs> which yeah. is yeah so that's and a good area school, to play yeah in. Yeah, yeah do you yeah. Really want to get scared kids <laughs> really <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so I've had some rule number one kids. <laughs>
0: don't actually scare them yeah <laughs> <laughs> they have to think that they're being scared but you can't actually
1: scare them if you do you're in a lot of trouble you're in a lot of trouble, <laughs> you're in a lot of trouble. yeah that one that one's a, a nice edge nice edge um, so question Bran
0: is Bran a female yeah, the, I, I, the way I've read it, the way I've heard
1: it, she's a female. And, and Skolan's the boy. Yeah. And Bran, the brindled Skolan, the white with the red stripe. I always thought, and this is just maybe because I thought Skolon was the smaller. And I always thought Skolon was the, the female and Bran was the boy, but that's just because be begins be. be. Um, but I, I am definitely not an expert. Uh, people confuse me as a storyteller who's done an awful lot of... Um, kind of research and an awful lot of uh, scholarly kind of um, deep dives. I, I've done a bit. I've done a fair bit, but you know, not. I'm definitely not. I need. I need to be fact check. Fact check my stuff, like. Um. So I, I'm curious. I could read somewhere, or I I often like put two and two together and go, Ah, oh, yeah. Brad Brandon's the bigger one, and Scarlett's the smaller one. Girl, boy, or whatever. But what I, when she said it there, it was like, Oh, I stand, I could be sitting corrected. Um. So you have Skolan as the female, or Bran as the, and is Skolan a male or Skolan is a male? Yeah, and l- like yourself, I've done a
0: good bit of, of reading, but you know, I'm not gonna, at an ac- not an academic. I don't have my PhD. Right, there's people who know an awful lot more than me, but as from what I know. Brands a female. Interesting. And that just works for me. It feels right. I don't know.
1: Interesting. Yeah. That's fun. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Great. I mean, I like adopting new bits of information and tying it in all the time. So, um, yeah, well, let's. Uh, I, look at all, I look up my sources. You look up yours, you yeah. come back and we'll, we'll have a little search. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Brad is sent off with the black, the brown and the gray. these three colors I found really dark, really... Uh, autumnal and and shadowy and grim, and these three men in these three colours basically go off to uh, what, let the fina have good fun and just chill yeah. out. Yeah. You guys chill yeah. out. We'll stand guard, make sure nothing untoward happens. And is it around the sowing time? Is it? Is it kind of? Yeah, it it's is definitely at sowing. At sowing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, great. Because it's it's it, it definitely has a vibe of a of a sowing tale. So yeah. Um, yeah, it makes sense that the the kayak comes in the hag uh, a, 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 a hag with a huge tooth comes in towards the end uh, yeah that's a brilliant detail uh, she uses her tooth as a kind of walking stick eh?
0: Yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's those little details that can make me fall in love with the story. How like is that so going to happen? Like, how,
1: how do you... What?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you've never seen an old woman walking down the street, giant tooth that she uses as a crutch to
1: pull <laughs> herself along. I can't see that I have, then, you know? <laughs> you need to get out, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe up in the hills of Scotland uh, you've some more weathered <laughs> We see them all the time, yeah. <laughs> the thing with story like this, like, there
0: there are Fiona stories where the meaning and or the kind of spiritual impact is really obvious and clear like for me yeah. the Salmon of Wisdom story you know the expansion of consciousness like for me that's like a western or Celtic form of talking about the Buddha's enlightenment you know like going beyond the ordinary human state of consciousness and it being possible to know all things and being able to be one with all things mm-hmm. and you can meditate on that and that have a profound impact. There are other Fiona stories like this one, which for me, A, I love it just because it's weird. It's just bizarre. And you just don't know what's coming next. And um, B, because I feel like it is, there is some kind of spiritual language being talked right like through these sh- colors, which would have had meaning and would have had impact for listeners 500 or 1000 or however many years ago, but we don't, have because we don't have this in dream dictionaries or whatever. Yeah it?
1: it does feel very dream-esque or nightmarish you know in a sense yeah. that it, it, it does kind of feel like it was thought up and around the fire with maybe a few mushrooms. Yeah. What was your trip Jesus <laughs> Why did I tell you. Um or, or something along those lines of like it doesn't quite again someone's asked me recently of like oh yeah what's the moral of that story what's the the the, the lesson for it to be and uh, an awful lot of these stories don't have those because they're not you know whereas the American aspects I think it was American actually asked me um, you know because an awful lot of the the attempt in america with, to reattach some form of community and, and culture mm. to where they are in their you know 400 year old home is to to make lessons out of or make stories with lessons and uh, and learn from them in order to grow themselves mm. into the into the place and i guess these are an awful lot of myths don't have those lessons not obvious ones obviously if you go to india you've very you know like a h- highly spiritual obvious lessons, you know, you've, uh, what, the battle of the Gita is, you know, like this amazing story about, you know, again, it's a war, it's a battle, but it's, again, profoundly about raising your consciousness and meditating and, and how the lessons of life are, you know, taking things personally and there's some really on the nose, self-help, yeah, yeah. Guidance there. You know, they're yeah. fucking pulling from that still. Um and and you don't get that in energy so much.
0: It's, yeah, just like, it's much more much more of a dark mirror, it's much more opaque, isn't it?
1: Mm, I like that dark mirror. Yeah. You kind of look in it and you might see a reflection. What the fuck is that? Yeah. Um and yet you kind of relate to it in some way. You you're definitely enthralled by it. In this story, it seems very similar to Kuhnla's house. Uh, or the story of how Damon got his love spot mm-hmm. uh, you know these kind of otherworldly I was saying it's kind of almost like a, the voyage stories going into the other world and something mad happens we don't quite know why it happens there's an apple with golden trees there's a monster revolving around inside in its skin and there's a bridge with a lot of cats on it or whatever mm-hmm. we don't quite know but we're just gonna take our time here try not to get killed and come back with a story to tell and, you know, that's the, the voyage and return archi- archetypal story. It's this like, you go off, it's the Gulliver's Travels, amazing journey, come back, nothing changes. Like it's just, what happened, looking over your shoulder, cool, I don't know, let's just move on. Uh, it, it's all the journey, it's not the destination, it's not the, the reward, it's the experience.
0: Yeah, that's such a good point about just ex- enjoying the experience of these stories, of the you know the weird and wonderful and strange things that come along. And then also, you know, I always relate these stories back to um, when I was at university. Um, I was at the University of Sussex in Brighton, which is quite a kind of alternative left-wing kind of university. And as well as your main course, you had to sounds like your dinner, but I mean your main subject. (laughs) Uh, You had to study these these other subjects. Um, And I got, I signed up for the shamanic consciousness and I was reading all these academic texts um, from these guys who gone and studied with Siberian shamans, the real deal kind of guys. And they were talking about these Giving these incredibly detailed accounts of other world journeys of how they used the techniques they used and still used to go into another frame of consciousness and to the, enter the other world and they went to this island or this strange land and they met this giant who opened up their stomach and stuffed them full of crystals and they went to this other place where there's this bizarre chicken woman creature who's trying to kill them so they had to disguise themselves and and they write about this stuff as if it's, you know, as if it was writing the report at work. <laughs> it's felt very juicy. Giant <laughs> chicken, tried to eat my toe. <laughs> I said, no, giant chicken, no. Yes, you cannot, eat <laughs> my toe. <laughs> and I, I always go back to them when I'm reading these kind of stories where, you know, the, the Fianna are out at night, and they're out hunting, it all gets dark, and then they see these lights and there's some weird old man saying, do you want to come to my house? And they go, boom, they're in the other world, and they're being tested, and weird things are happening, and they have to use their wits usually, they have to use cunning, and they come out with it with magical items, which is what tends to happen when these accounts of Sabri and Shamans, they come back with these items, or you a know, magical cloak, or the, they've been searching for a part of a person's soul that's missing, which is how they kind of heal a sick person, they bring them back. And it just always seems like our kind of parallel of that, with a different kind of uh, landscape being mm. described—a um, Celtic landscape, Western Europe, Northern European landscape—and yeah, yeah, yeah. a certain, you know, and it being in story form, yeah. rather than talking about, oh, this is how he healed this person, and just yeah, different language and architecture.
1: Yeah it's, a, yeah, it's a funny one again. Like without the reward or the or the jewel at the end of it, it's these three lads after you know again it's just a funny one the black the grey and the brown or the black brown grey and, and then there's three other coloured creatures that jump out you've the the, what is the yellow the red blue and green red blue and green yeah um, and yeah just like yeah I mean just, what is that these just very one tone one um, mode people what is that uh, like uh, you know it's almost like a a mask it's the it's, it's kind of uh, you know you're not giving any other detail literally nothing there's no facial there's no eyes there's no description there's no hair it's yeah. just one you're one tone yeah. and you do one thing and there's nothing else there other than your physical colour and body and shape and, that, and it's, it's it's almost bizarre that you you don't get to visualise them other than these blobs of colour and it is quite dreamlike and, and uh, yeah, it's 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 trippy. Um, I'm not quite sure what I'm trying to say other than it's a bit mad. I look forward to hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so, uh, Daniel, House of Legends is your podcast. People can find you on Spotify or pod, pod, podcast platforms.
0: Yeah, the podcast is available in all the usual places. And what are you writing at the moment? I am at the moment writing Scottish Myths and Legends, Volume 2, and Irish Mythology, and The Spay Queen, which is Volume 2 of The Orkney Cycle, which is my uh, prehistoric Scottish fantasy epic.
1: Based loosely and tying in with Skaghug, am I right?
0: Um, yeah, it's the book one is based on the story of Asipatol and the Muckle Maester or or really, really big serpent, which is a Scottish um, kind of... Trickster hero story stroke creation myth, and then it expands out um, over the course of the books into um, bringing in Skahach and various and the Kalyach and lots and lots of different mythological characters mm. through the lens of a kind of Game of Thronesy high pace,
1: high blood and guts, high magic fantasy story. Amazing. I mean, I mean, I mean, like I the only books I ever read are are fantasy or myths and legends. To be honest, I listen to a lot of like books that I can't ever concentrate and read because the only ones that i actually be able to page turn are fantasy. So it's great that you're reimagining these stories in a fantastical way. So that's I'm delighted to hear that. And uh, last but not least, tell me a little bit more about your storytelling course and your membership aspect because we did a storytelling course during lockdown. We were delighted with it. We I think we did four courses back to back. People are still asking us, are we doing another one? I just... I've gotten a bit sick of Zoom, so I can't quite commit myself to doing any more. I said I would this year, but we just got bombed out of a busy, so we decided, you know what, we're just going to put a pin in that one for a moment. So what's your answer to post-COVID, post-Zoom, online teaching? Keep doing it, is my
0: (laughs) my answer to that. I was afraid you are going to say that. Yeah, it worked for me because obviously we all know we prefer being together than being on zoom, but I've made all these amazing connections throughout the world. I've got an audience throughout the world and I, I, I love working with people who I wouldn't get to work with if we yeah. didn't work together with Zoom. And I see all the amazing things that happen when people take up storytelling. So I carry on doing it and then I carry on doing stuff in person as well. And that's a happy mix for me. So what I do is the main two things are there's Myth Singers, which is a year long intensive, small group coaching apprenticeship or Celtic storytelling apprenticeship. I'm calling it now because it's gone more Celtic for the people who are like, yes, I want to do this. I want to tell stories. It is in the depths of my soul. Brilliant, go to Myth singers. sign up, we'll have a great time. And I love the relationships we make doing that because we work together for a whole year. We would meet twice a month. So, you know, we become really close, you know, as a group. Yeah, yeah, Everyone who yeah. I've worked with through that is a friend and yeah, it's really special. So there's no way I want to give that up, even if it's on Zoom. And then the less committed people, um, we have. The, the, I have the Roundhouse program. So that's a storytelling school stroke community where it's just like a small monthly or annual membership fee. And there's uh, at least two, usually three or more um, monthly meetups online. There's lots of online courses I put together with visiting guests and storytellers and so on. So there's just loads and loads of things going on for people who want to be part of a storytelling community um, but aren't able to be there in person or
1: whatever reason it is. And um, in terms of your step by step, how you put it together, if you pass it on to me, we'll probably do one of those. <laughs> um, no, I'm joking, uh, but we probably might. I know that you've told us your secrets. Great. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, look, we just we copy and we steal, and we pop. You know, we populate all ideas from passing it on. No, I'm, uh, I'm delighted to hear that you're so focused on, you know, community building and storytelling aspects of of people coming together. Because uh, I think we need more of it, and it's great. To, to see it out there. Um, it's great to see you writing so much, telling so much. Delighted to have you tell a story tonight uh, at a live gig. Delighted to uh, host you. And uh, yeah, on this podcast have you not only uh, share your passion and remind me why I love stories and why I love the Irish stories and the aspect of storytelling and why I get so giddy about it but also why it's important to keep doing it. Uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing the story of Brown Black, brown and grey. In whatever order.
0: And Aaron, thank you so much. It's uh, wonderful to meet you and have this chat with you and to perform with you tonight. I've been driving around Ireland for the last few weeks listening to your voice and your sister's (laughs) voice. And you guys have been incredibly helpful for me, not just your telling of the stories, but also just your attitude to the stories and your openness and your uh, approach to being free and playing around with them and reinventing
1: them in your own way. Uh, yeah I'm very very happy to be here uh, delighted thank you very much I'm delighted to hear that we're able to keep you company and my sister who is a little bit sick at the moment uh, although she knocked through the park to the adverse work she did despite the fact that she was sick like she's just a disgrace she's just unbelievably good and then she goes I'm sick and tired i going home so she would have been here only the fact that she's definitely asleep and hopefully we'll be on your podcast soon because we'll probably team up with you on the other aspect and uh, yeah thanks Danny you will but you have to be you yeah all right daddy you nice one I think that's a wrap okay Jesus that was a